0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. If you will, will you turn to your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Did you know that today is Christ the King Sunday? Christ the King Sunday. And I I heard that we're close to the ordination of Pastor Bill, right? It was close to this day, so... Uh, It's good to be with you all. I tell everybody, this is a a church like no other. You don't know what you have. Well, I I think you do, but it's good to tell you, in case you don't know, this is a special place. I'm a Pentecostal and an Anglican priest, the priest in the Anglican tradition, and this is one of the few places I can come and be my full self. So it feels good to be here. They can call us what they want, you charismatics, I don't know, there's a lot of different terms for it, but I, I just like to say I don't have to make false choices, that I can have these ancient practices and also imagine into God's future, and so it's just so good to be here with you. Let's read, if we will, together, uh, oh, you're going to hate me, can you stand one more time for the reading from the gospel? You're getting uh, your work in this morning already. We're going to start at verse 14. Thirty-three of chapter 23 in Luke's gospel 33 through 43 when they came to the place that is called the skull they crucified Jesus there with the criminals one on his right one on his left then Jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing remember me when you come into your kingdom he replied truly i tell you today you will be with me in paradise in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit let the church say amen Amen. let the church say amen again god is a good god even on a bad day you may be seated I want to speak to you briefly on the subject of the crucified God, the crucified King. We have to ask the question, it's an important question to ask, and that is this, what is God like? Simone Vey, before she died, she said there's some things that really are important. One of those things she said that everybody must figure out, and we do this together, is how do we know a thing? How do we know a thing? And then the second thing is... What's the nature of God? If you get that wrong, if we get that wrong, I wonder how much damage we'll do. Sometimes, this is going to sound crazy, I'd rather see people not believe in God than believe in a violent, retributive, petty, vengeful God. A God that is the opposite and the antithesis of love. And I'm going to go to my orthodox roots here. If God is anything, God is love. God is this compassionate, co-suffering love. And if you want to know what that looks like, look no further than that sign right there. The cross. The cross is who God is. And so when we talk about who is God and what is God like, we have to start there and end there. He was slain from the foundation of the world. Amen? Okay, I'm going to have some fun. Roll with me. I'm a silly kind of preacher This is just my personality. It's probably why I get along so well with Pastor Bill. But I want to show you, can I show you a photo of my wife from years ago? You ready for this? Ian, go ahead and put it up there. And she's with somebody. You'll see if we can get that image of Diana and a certain WWF. Is this our most proud moment? Probably. Probably. How many know about the 24-inch pythons? How many were raised in the 80s, the glory days of wrestling? How many remember when they sold out? Was it the Silver Dome? Okay, we're going deep. Those are deep cuts here. This is Hulk Hogan. If you don't know, he was having a very bad day on that day. We didn't know that at the time, but he just got divorced on that day. <laughs> yeah, I find that funny. I'm sorry. Um, not divorce, but that Diana is smiling, taking her picture next to him when he's having a bad day, but he was really kind, and uh, his face was in the newspapers later on that week um, for some things that he was going through. But I put that image up there because sometimes I think when we think of God, and we think of the nature of God, and when we think of Jesus, who is the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in Christ, a lot of times I think that when we talk about Christ the King, we will falsely imagine a God that is like this a God that's undefeatable, a God that's, that's really strong, that's got 24-inch pythons. I, I recently introduced my son to Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, Macho Man died a few years ago, but you can go on YouTube and you can find old clips of Macho Man. And I taught him how to talk like Macho Man. Oh, yeah. He began to talk like Macho Man. Macho Man was this character who would come down the the aisle. There was a center aisle in the arena, and he would come running down that aisle, known for his flamboyant style. He had a huge ego, really big personality. His theme song, you ready for this, was called Pomp and Circumstance March Number One. That was his theme song. Sometimes I think that when we talk about Christ the King, we think about Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. We think about this Jesus that is undefeatable, that's, however high your king is, our king is macho man. He'll take you down. He'll jump off the top top buckle. I don't know if that's actually faithful. There's a comic strip, Ian, go ahead and put the one of Jesus at the door that I really love. And the comic strip, have you seen it? It's funny. It goes like this. It's Jesus and he's standing outside the door and he's knocking on the door. He goes and the guy behind the door says, who is it? Jesus says, it's me, Jesus. The guy says, what do you want? Jesus says, let me in and I'll tell you. The guy says, why should I let you in? Jesus says, so I can save you. And the guy says, save me from what? And Jesus goes, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. See, I think a lot of times we have this image of Jesus that is like Macho Man, that is like Hulk Hogan, that is like that comic strip. I'm going to, I got to save you from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. And as funny as that is, it's a sad representation of how millions of Christians see God. Pompous, strong-armed, retributive, Zeus-like. How many have heard people describe God that way? I'll tell you how it's revealed, usually in suffering, when people say, what did I do to deserve this? Have you ever met someone? I have. I've been in too many hospital rooms where people have said, I must have done something. The tragedy is that there are Christians who will come alongside those folks, broken Christians who will say, yeah, you did. They're worse than Job's friends. I don't think that we can continue on Preaching this type of God. Oh, what do we do? We have another image. What? What was it? Well, I guess that's not funny. No, the crucifix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that too. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. (laughs) But we can enjoy it right now. (laughs) Yeah, right. We see Jesus this way, don't we? Right. But instead, I love the gospel because it calls us to the crucified King, the crucified King, the vulnerable killable, crucified king. I think too often we see people in our country, 70% of which claims to be some kind of Christian, who believes, unfortunately, the same message that Jonathan Edwards preached during the Great Awakening, that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. I don't believe that for one second. If Jesus is the fullness of God, as we read today, if he's the exact image, the exact representation of God then God is love. He is love. He is love. He's better to you than you can imagine. He cares for you more than you will ever know. If he watches over every sparrow, if he dresses the lily with beauty and splendor, how much more does he love you? I believe that God is love, but why did the message of this angry God take off? I think this Prevalent Protestant view and Catholics. The Catholic Church had this view too in and, uh, and rigorism that was present in the 17th century. Why did this kind of God become prevalent? And I would offer to you one possibility, and that is because conversion by coercion is very effective. If you want to get people to believe in what you're saying, make them afraid. If you want to move people into action, give them something to be afraid of. But how many can say with me today, I'm no longer a slave to fear? I'm a child of God. He's brought me in. God is so good. God is love. The problem I think that we're wrestling with right now and that we're seeing made manifest is that if we have an angry, violent, retributive God, if God is angry, if this is a God that Jesus has to save us from, a Zeus-like God throwing thunderbolts when we misstep, how sad and how misguided that might be, because here's the gospel. The gospel is not that we are saved from God. The gospel is that we are saved from death, and there's a big difference. I'm going to say that one more time. The gospel is not that we are saved from God, an angry, violent, retributive God. The gospel is that we are saved from death. That's the good news. We have to have images of God that help us really see a God that's good. I just got done reading Athanasius on the incarnation, and I kept saying over and over again in my journal, this is a good God. This is a good God. A God that enters into everything, that assumes everything, because that which is not assumed is not redeemed. But this is the God that plums the depths of human experience and redeems it all. That's a good God. Binding us to himself. Tying us together. Only God can love God. What does that mean, Vay, That means that God's love is the very love that you have that you return to him and to other people. God is love. And love is made manifest most concretely when we look at that cross. And when we meditate and, and gaze. You know what the faith is, in my opinion, what this whole Christian project is about? Attention. Directing our gaze, you're going to misstep, you're going to make mistakes. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and finisher, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, that's going to be the greatest calibrative measure in your life. Keep yourself near the cross. Keep yourself near the cross. Christ the King, or the reign of Christ as we celebrate today, almost suggests the pomp and arrogance dominance as if to say, however high your king is, ours is higher. However strong your king is, ours is stronger. And when we do this, we might impose a meaning of power upon God that runs opposite to the God revealed in Christ. As if power was somehow the ability to dominate. Salem Tabernacle, I want to tell you something this morning from my heart too. You could take it or leave it. But I don't think power is in one's ability to dominate. I think power is found here. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker. There's a difference between a dominator and a maker. One works out of fear and coercion. The other one works out of love and goodness. Maker of heaven and earth. One of the saints says, no one heals themselves by destroying another. Dominators in this world, abusers in this world, whether they are in some kind of office or position of power, you know what they really are? They're afraid. Mastery and our impulse towards mastery is just our fear of death. We're afraid of not having enough, not being enough. And so we move in ways that destroy the world because of our fear of dying. So what does God do in Christ? He shows us that you don't have to be afraid of death because there is one who has conquered death by death and his name is Jesus Christ. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. But the good news of the gospel is this. That last breath you take is your first breath in glory. And he meets you there and he says, welcome home welcome home. So what we try to do as pastors, I suppose, is we just try to help people find home. Power is found not in a God who annihilates his enemies, but who forgives his enemies at the very site of their hatred and violence, the cross. I believe this to be so central, this Christian Orthodox idea that God is love, God is not just loving. We have to be careful there. God is love itself. Do you all know what I mean when I say that? God doesn't exist. God is existence. God is not a being. God is being. He's the source of everything. God is unconditioned. Nothing affects God. God affects everything. God is not dirty by the leper, but the leper is made whole because God is unconditioned. So it's important that we say God is love and not just loving. God is love itself. The reason why I think this is important to state is because there have been so many portraits of God that you and I have been exposed to that have been broken. I had two quotes that I was supposed to start this sermon on. I failed to do so, but let's put them up there now. This is Meister Eckhart. He said, I pray God rid me of God. Meister Eckhart, this mystic, I pray God rid me of God. Let me put it to you a different way. God, as you really are, deliver me from God as I imagine you to be. God, as you really are, deliver me from God as I imagine you to be. This next quote is from a Pentecostal bishop. His name is J.H. King. He said this, our experience of God must be crucified. Our experience of God must be be crucified. I think this is important because we have had so many portraits of God that have been bent and broken, distorted and skewed, that if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to those ideas. That's why to some degree we all need a dose, you ready for this, of healthy atheism. And what I mean by that is this, God, when I have a false image of who you are, when I have a wrong idea about your nature, when I have thought about you for 30 ways and my attachment to that thought or that way of thinking has kept me bound from the newness of life that you have for me, rid me of that God. I desire to be an atheist in that sense so that I can be faithful. And it's hard to let go of your attachments, especially when you've mixed it in with the divine. But do you know what I believe? I believe that conversion is not just a one-time thing that happened in your life. It's an ongoing renewal that Christ manifests by the Spirit in your life every day, the renewing of your mind. You love me today. I hope you love me who I am for who I am next year, because it won't be the same person, and you won't be either. So journey well. God is always creating. He didn't just create. His creation is ongoing and it's made manifest in you and I. Salem, you're beautiful. Every time I'm here, I see a new vista, a new shimmer coming out of the prism that is the grace of God in your midst. I cannot tell you how much I love you, but I hope you hear it today. It's a joy to be with you because I see the work of God in your midst. My family's here, John Luke, Marty, Diana, who I co-pastor with, we're both priests in the communion of evangelical Episcopal churches. One of the things that people always say when they see John, Luke, and Maddie and it's been a year or two, they say, wow, they've gotten big. Wow, they've grown. How many have kids and you've had that experience? It's so true. How many, you go to bed and you wake up and your kids are different the next morning? We were making tortillas a couple of weeks ago, m- months ago now, and John Luke started calling me, and I love this, you keep doing this, man. And by the way, I owe them a dollar. Every time I mention them from the pulpit, they get a dollar. They love it. It's it's an agreement that works. We're making tortillas, and up until a certain point, he called me dad or daddy. But all of a sudden, we're making tortillas, and he goes, Yeah, bro. He woke up one morning and his his voice dropped. Now he's playing bass. He was on you down the whole service. service he's playing bass he's playing an upright bass the kid went from being this tall to this tall how did that happen well God is letting him grow in wisdom and in stature and that's happening to you too so every time I come back here I look at Salem Tabernacle and not that I'm the judge of this I'm just one person I'm just a witness but when I come back every time I say wow Salem God's doing something here He's he's growing something within you. There's a newness of life that I sense among you. Does that make sense? If I'm a false prophet, you can tell me. I'll just be like, my bad. I sense it. To some degree, we need to grow this way. We need need to have our visions of God remodeled or, or reimagined. A lot of times you hear words like deconstruction. That might not be the best term because we're not here to destroy anything but how many know you can't follow Jesus in this life and him not affect you as you walk there will be some kind of change that occurs there's a tribe that I heard of in Africa that won't let you take their picture and the reason for that is because they don't want to be captured and bound up to where they are right now in time I think there's something healthy about that God do a work change me in your mercy and your grace. My dad used to say, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I'm going to be. But thank God I'm not what I was. That's my prayer for you. We need to think about our image of God and we need to make sure that we stay near the cross. We need to make sure that we stay near the cruciform image. That is who God is. He is not a God that dominates like Hulk Hogan, and Macho Man. He's not going to dominate you. He's not going to dominate me. The key thing about God is consent. He, inv- he asks, and you have to be open to God. How many have heard that before? God's not going to dominate you. You have to be open to him. And that's what the cross invites us into. Can we stare? Can we gaze? It's hard to look at sometimes. But Jesus, keep me near the cross. Keep me near the cross because that is the image of God that will make us new. Richard Rohr says this. This is why it matters. Your image of God makes you. Your image of God makes you. How we image God, how we imagine God in our mind, in our soul, in our body, will impact how we engage the world, our neighbors, our family. If you have a vengeful God, guess what? you're going to be vengeful. If you have an angry God, guess what? You're going to be angry. If you have a violent God, how do you think you're going to be? Punitive, vengeful, aggressive. If your God needs a pound of flesh, then you will too. I had to speak in front of a bunch of Uh, lawyers and, and clergy a few months ago. They wanted me to talk about domestic violence in the church. One of the things that I said is, if we have an image of a God who needs to beat up his son for the sake of the world, it won't surprise us then if our men go into their spaces and have that same kind of approach. If God needs a pound of flesh, then you will too. This is why our image of God matters. If our God needs placated, if there's eternal hell to pay, then we're going to live into this world in the same way. Our image of God creates us. And left alone to ourselves, our thick subconscious and bias will be the lens through which we view God unknowingly that's why I see a therapist I see a spiritual director I believe in the communion of saints I read ancient friends they help me triangulate what the spirit is saying listen if God is loving mutuality father son and spirit if God doesn't want to be God alone by God's self but is triune how much more do we need to have loving mutuality in your life maybe maybe the hurdle some of us have and I don't know who this is for but it might be a trust hurdle. You've been hurt. Too many people have hurt you in this world. I'm sorry that happened, but I'm here to encourage you today that there are people in this room and you have a pastor who loves you, and I invite you to be open to loving mutuality in your life. It will help you hear the voice of God. Is that all right? You all still with me? Sometimes I think that our shadow conceptions of God are too strong, and so we need God to deliver us from our bent visions of maturity, a vision that sees the fully developed life as a life that can save itself. We read it in the gospel today. Save yourself. They said, save yourself. This is the distillation of our our fears, all our fears, and false hopes that we could save ourselves. This is the image that the world gives us. The world tells you that when you can save yourself, you are successful. You have enough money, you have enough power, and you have enough influence to have your will make an effect in the world, and you don't have to worry about anything. How many have ever heard of this expression, pull yourself up from your own bootstraps? Or they'll say it to you this way, uh, if I did it, you can do it. No one is a self-made man. No one is a self-made woman. You are created. End of discussion. You are created. We all come from dependency. We all live and exist within dependency because in him we live and move. Save yourself is the very thing that this world calls successful. This vision of maturity, the developed life, typically looks like this. The able-bodied, self-sufficient, very masculine man. That is a myth. And if you're one of those men here today, and I'm I'm not trying to pick on men, I am one. But how many know men, we get hit with that image all the time. And we're called a failure if we're not that image. But to the men here, let's be honest and let's be humble. We're here because people loved us into being. We're not here because we did it by our our own power. We're here by the grace of God. We're here by the grace of God. We had a loving father, a loving mother, one or the other. We had a loving grandparent. Somebody cared for us. There were teachers and pastors and bishops and instructors and mentors who loved us into being. And all of that is bound up in the grace of God. That's God coming to you, loving you. So when we hear those voices, save yourself, by God's grace, Lord, give us power to step away from that impulse. Because what we'll do is we'll create projections of God and we'll desire a God that indeed can save God's self. But when we do that, we lose the mystery and wonder and awe that is the crucified Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. What God does with God's power is that He freely gives His life. Let me make my way out of here. So, God, deliver me from my shadow conceptions, my bent visions. Deliver me from the bent visions of maturity that I have. Somehow, keep me near the crucified King. And as I gaze upon Him, shatter my sensibilities because they're too bent, they're too broken. The world has done a number on us, y'all. We have imported so much into the church, it's not even funny. Anybody with me in that sentiment? We have imported so much and imposed so much upon God. But if you want to know what God looks like, let me put it to you the way Pastor Brian Zahn says it. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time God hasn't been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. That's what God looks like co-suffering love, compassion. So Jesus, keep me near the cross. That's what we were singing. There's a verse from that song that says, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my ransomed soul shall find rest beyond the river. Let's let's put that t-shirt up there. This is what we're going to be tempted to do as we leave this place. We are going to want a God who looks like that. My goodness. I grew up, I had that t-shirt. That, on, the, on the right, That how many remember the Lord's Gym t-shirt? I know who you are now. It, raise your hand if you remember the Lord's Gym. There's so many things I know about you already. This is a 90s Christian t-shirt. I had one, and if you can't tell, it's this very chiseled muscular Jesus who's doing bench press or not bench presses he's doing push-ups tells you how often I do a push-up push-ups right and his muscles are all shredded and he's got the cross on him what is that I don't even know like someone someone actually spent time on that isn't that crazy we have to be careful because this is going to be a temptation for us to see God as powerful in the form of dominance. Power in the form of, I'm going to lord over. But he calls to you, his disciple, and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, that's how they work. They dominate. They lord over. But not so for you. You're going to love your way to greatness. You're going to serve your way to greatness. You're going to be kind and compassionate. But most of all, be open to God coming to you in strange ways, be open to the mysteries of God because God usually and almost certainly comes to you in the form of a stranger, in the form of that which is strange. Think about Abraham. God comes to him through strangers. Let's go all the way to the New Testament. I was a stranger and you welcome me. If you cannot be open to that which is unfamiliar, to that which is new, to that which is strange, you're not going to be open to God. Because God is going to come to you in newness of life, in new ways, in new ideas, new concepts. And if you close the door because it's new to you and you don't like new gates, like a goat, you are going to miss out on the grace of God in your life. But if you have an open heart and an open mind, you will receive the grace of God and he'll lead you into newness of life. How many desire that this morning? I'm closing, y'all. That's all I have to say to you. I want you to hear my heart. Salem, you're beautiful. God is doing a work in your midst. Keep going. He's got other things. He's got new things to show you. We're about to start a new year. This is the last Sunday of the liturgical year. If you've been through heartache, if you've been hurt, I'm with you a miracle that i'm standing here before you today after everything that i've been through after everything my family's been through but you know what in the midst of all of that god has loved us through others and this church has been a place where we can come and find healing and rest and newness of life and joy your pastor jacqueline they've been god's grace in our lives And I'm standing here before you today to tell you that just because you've been through something painful, something that has hurt you, doesn't mean that it's over. It's not over. It's not over. God is still good. He'll lead you into newness. So here we go. We're about to start Advent. Are you ready? Well, good. That's next week. I don't have to do that. That's coming to you. But be open to what God's going to do in your midst. It's going to be good. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary, for at the right time, if we hold on, we'll see things. All right, I'm going to finish with this quote. You wanted it to be over. (laughs) I'm teasing you, man. It is over. It is over. Here's here's a quote. By the way, he's a legend. Do you all know that? I love you, brother. I love you, man. Jeff to the left. (laughs) I want to finish with this Pentecostal bishop's quote from J.H. King. He's an early Pentecostal bishop. He spoke about how God requires us to give up. And I hope this ministers to your soul. We're done. This is what he said. Our experience of God must be crucified, detached. You could put that word there. King says this, because we will find the ecstasies of joy. The peace of heaven, so sweet, we begin to feel that the experience is essential to our living faithfully. But we shall come to the point, he says, where God will lead us away from these ecstasies. And as a result, we shall sink deeper into him. That's my prayer for you. That in the absence and the crucifixion of Jesus. The Jesus who you once knew or the Jesus that you projected or the Jesus that you imagined or the God that you imagined God to be. That as you are detached from that image, oh, that he would meet you at the next turn and reveal to you the God, the God that is. Amen, church? That you would sink deeper into God. That's my prayer. That the Jesus in whom you once found ecstasy in, that you would actually go even further and sink deeper into the darkness of God, and there in the darkness of that womb, the womb, you'd find the warmth that is your life in God rekindled, your affection for God purified from usefulness. It's a horrible thing to use God. From usefulness to worship and adoration and attention, and that your love for one another would be transformed from attachment into true friendship. That's my prayer for you. Our experience of God must be crucified, Salem. Stay near the cross. Stay near the crucified king. Stay near the God that unravels your sensibilities, your visions of maturity. As we shift from ordinary time to the new year, let there be a shift into newness of life. So that this can be said to you. When you cry out, Lord, remember me, I'm going through a weird moment right now. There's a holy disorientation. I have no idea what's happening. I feel like I'm dying. Remember me, Lord. And he says to you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Will you stand? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com